Thank you, Mark. I know a lot of you knew I was going to be here speaking this morning, and you came anyway, and that's, that's an honor, and I thank you for that, and I, I thank you for the privilege of being here. You will never know how much Joanne and I love and appreciate you. Twenty-two years ago when we moved back from California, I told somebody I was looking for a church and what my priorities were. And although they didn't go to this church, they said, you need to try Melanie Park. And we came here one Sunday and Joanne said, okay, this is it. We don't need to look any farther. And we've been here except for that stand in plain view ever since. And we just grow to love and appreciate you more and more. I do have a message to deliver to you from someone outside of our congregation, and I think it's kind of neat. I had trouble getting here this week. I got woke up or Tuesday evening really sick and I, during the night, and I thought, I better go to the doctor because I don't know whether I'll be well by Sunday or not. So I went to the doctor, and I think I scared him. He didn't know me, and I didn't know him, but I knew who he was, and I think he knew who I was. I said, okay, I said, I've got to preach Sunday. You either get me well or you're going to have to take my place. <laughs> and he said, I put him under the gun. I think I scared him. But he said, I do want you to deliver a message for me. He said, we don't go to Melanie Park. He said, but we homeschool our kids. And Melanie Park lets us use, our homeschoolers use the church. And he says, I don't think they know what a blessing their congregation is to us as homeschoolers. He said, would you tell them how much we appreciate them? So I pass that along to you. Colossians chapter 3, if you'd turn with me. Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin reading with verse 1, but before we read, may we pray again. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be here to look at your word together. I pray that you will give us insight from your word by your Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus Christ and to help us be more effective in what you would have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Tim Hansel worked with Young Life and then later on went to establish, found and establish an outdoor ministry that's now known as Summit Adventure. I think it was about 1974, a mountain climbing incident left him in constant, continual pain. 
for the next 35 years. I read an article the other day about him where Tim went through a broken marriage, a divorce, and he was suffering then from a broken back and a broken marriage. And a friend sent him a plaque with the words, you've probably seen something like it, it said, Tim, trust me, I have everything under control, and then signed, Jesus. And when the plaque arrived, the glass on the front of it was broken. Hansel said he'd never replaced that shattered glass because it meant more to him because the message arrived behind shattered glass. Now think about that for just a minute. The thing that uh, struck me that I wanted to talk about this morning, Hansel declared that the symbol for a Christian ought to be thumbs up. Because thumbs up not only means everything's okay, it also points us up to look and to remind us to keep looking where our real resources lie. Like Tim Hansel, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage. We should keep looking up. We should keep our minds focused on Jesus no matter how painful and broken and shattered things are around us. If we'll keep looking up, we can keep a thumbs-up attitude, everything's okay. Now, Paul was an authority on being broken, and he was an authority on having a thumbs-up attitude. And let's see how as we take a look at this passage. As we look at it, remember, Paul was writing this letter from prison. He'd been shipwrecked on the way to prison in Rome. He'd gone through all kinds of physical hardships, struggles, and pain. He'd had close friends desert him. He had some turn on him. Paul knew what it was to hurt. So what he's writing is no theory to him. He's writing from the reality of personal experience as well as the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Colossae was in the Lycus Valley in what we now know as Turkey. is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And Paul was writing to them probably around 62 A.D. And the church at Colossae, Colossae was made up of Greek colonists. Come there from Greek, native Phrygians, and Jews, a mixture of people. And Paul was writing this letter to correct some false teaching that had developed out of that. The church at Colossae had problems that I think many modern Christians have. And that is they were trying to incorporate popular culture and cultural philosophies into the Christian message. For the Colossians, if you read the letter, one of the problems was the worship of angels. And then we'll see legalism got into them. And asceticism, they thought if they could beat their bodies, then maybe that would make them a little more holy. 
And then there were the beginnings of Gnosticism. There were those that thought, well, you had to have some sort of a spiritual side, a word that nobody had else had that would make you a little more spiritual. And incorporating the popular culture of the day into the Christian message of the church made to them, well, to them Christ was prominent, but not preeminent. And so a major theme of Colossians is the preeminence of Christ. Paul said he's not just important to you, he's all important. He's not just prominent, he is preeminent. Let's read this text again, but this time let's set it in its context and let's back up and let's go back to chapter 2, verse 20, if you would. Chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? You see what he's saying? You're no longer a part of the world. Why then are you acting like you're still in the world? Submitting to things like, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its Creator. Don't try to be who you were. That's what they were doing. They were acting like who they used to be. He said, you used to be this way, but you need to change now because you're not the man you used to be. Verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ implies a death and a resurrection. Verse 3, he doesn't just imply it. He comes right out and say it. Look look what he says, verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's a prominent teaching of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
Now, in looking at this, I said, I just can't, in studying this again, I said, I just can't gloss over this like I probably would because I have a problem with it. Before I walked up here, and I did it, I pinched myself. I don't think I'm dead. I did it before I came up here because I didn't want you to see me cry and think I was a sissy. But I pinched myself on the same old arm I was born with before I got saved. And I felt it. And I don't think I'm dead. I'm not like the man who tried to convince his family he was dead. He told everybody he was dead. They were so concerned about him, they sent him to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist spent the better part of an hour reasoning with him, using every argument he could think of to convince the man he was not dead. Finally, out of frustration, he asked the man a question. He said, do dead people bleed? He said, no, dead people don't bleed. So the psychiatrist pulls out a lance, pierces him in the finger, and out comes the oozing red fluid. The man's eyes got as big as saucers. He was astonished. He said, well, I guess dead people do bleed. <laughs> There's no way he was convinced he was dead. There's no way you could convince him he was alive. Now you can tell me I'm dead but I have trouble believing it. It's a problem for me. Romans chapter 6 helps me out. So would you mark Colossians? We'll come right back there. And let's go read something from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die, and death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here it's sort of a... An accountant's turn. He's saying, reckon, consider yourself, count yourself dead. In your reasoning, as you look at it, you're dead to sin. Why? We're united with Christ. We became one with Him. When we accepted Him by faith, 
He is in us. We are in Him. Therefore, when He died on the cross, we died with Him. J. Vernon McGee says there's only two places, one of two places where your sin can be. Either they are on Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago when you accepted Him by faith, or or they are on you awaiting the judgment of God. Now, if you accepted the free gift of eternal life by faith, knowing that you are a sinner and you needed salvation, that's the only way you could get to heaven was for God to get you there, and you accepted Him by faith, then Christ died for your sin. Your sin was on Him. You were united with Christ, and therefore, on the cross, you died with Him. When we accepted Him by faith, we became identified with Him, united with Him. So, In Christ, we died on the cross. We can now live a new life in Christ. Let's go back to Colossians 3. For you died, verse 3, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We were born sinners, slaves to sin. When we sinned, we couldn't help it. Sin mastered us. We had no choice. But now we have a choice. Sometimes we make the wrong choice. Theologians talk about positional and progressive sanctification. Positionally, in Christ, your old man, your old woman, your old self died. But practically in Christian living, the Christ-like life is progressive. You've got to keep putting to death. Look at verse 5. He said you died, but then he's saying you've got to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Look at verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself. They were going back to it. Before they were saved, before they were identified with Christ, before they were born again, they had no choice. They were sinners. Their sin was on them. Now their sin is on Christ. They've been united with Him. They have a choice. They were making the wrong choice. And they needed to change their choice. Remember that they were dead to sin. They were acting like they still belonged to the world. Look back up to chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? You're still acting like it. And though you have a new life in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, it's so easy to keep thinking like the old self, to react the way you used to, to make your decisions the same old way, You start looking and feeling all the pain that's in your body. And you think about the bills you have to pay. And you think about all the problems that are coming your way and the thumbs up become thumbs down and life stinks. But it should not be that way for a believer. And Paul is telling the Colossians, and I think you and me, 
Don't try to be who you were. You've been saved from that old life. You don't have to be that way. Don't forget who you are now. Let's go back to verse 3, chapter 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The old gospel song says, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You have the promise, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You belong to Jesus. He's with you all the time. It's a whole lot easier to keep the thumbs up if you remember who you belong to and whose you are and who is with you always, who has promised to never leave you and never forsake you. I'll never forget one night years ago, I was lying in bed staring at the ceiling, worrying, praying, or maybe more accurately, like Bonnie Hardy said in Sunday school last Sunday, I was doing more fretting to God than I was praying to God. But I'll never forget it. I remember exactly what I said. You see, I'd resigned the church I was pastoring. I was in a denomination. There was another man. It was an act of faith. There was a man that had been a director of a servicemen's center. And I thought he was better equipped to serve this little congregation that was right in the, at the gates of Camp Pendleton, Marine Corps base in California. And I said, well, he's, he can do this better than I can. So I resigned for him to take over. Now, that was an act of faith for me because in the denomination I served in, you did not resign a church. And all the older pastors told me you don't resign until you had another assignment. And we were living in a church parsonage. We were going to have to move out of that parsonage. I had a wife and a young daughter to support. I had no idea where we would go, what we would do. And I never will forget lying in the bed that night saying to the Lord these words, Lord, it's my life. I have a right to worry about what's going to happen. And immediately... I got so convicted. I had to ask forgiveness. You see, the words that I'd memorized a long time ago came to me, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where he says, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. I said, It's my life. It's not my life. It wasn't then. It's not now. I asked God to forgive me. It's not your life. You belong to Jesus. It's a lot easier to think and act like the new man God has made in you if you remember you belong to Jesus and you can keep your thumbs up who I am. And then Paul wants you and me to think hard about who you will be. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. John wrote, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I mess up a lot, but one of these days, I'm going to be just like Jesus. 
And you are too if you know Him. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said, He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Now, I could really get off on that. One of these days, your body is going to be made like the Lord's glorious body. You remember, he ate with the disciples after he was glorified. But he could appear in a room without going through the door. One of these days, you're going to be like that. I get excited about that. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to pre- I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's the best attested fact in history. Research it. He's at the right hand of the Father in Christ. And in Christ, you are there. You're as sure for heaven as if you were already there. And one of these days, you will see him face to face. And it will be the greatest joy of your life. And it will continue on forever and ever. It will be the beginning of the greatest adventure you've ever gone on. There won't be any more desire to go on vacation because you're living the great adventure. And in your glorified body, there's no more rheumatoid arthritis. There's no more clouded thinking. There's no more forgetfulness. There's no more restricted travel. There's no pain. There's no death. There's no mourning. There's no drought. There's no boredom. We'll rule and reign with Him. That's your future. That's your reality. So He said, set your hearts in verse 1. Literally, keep on seeking those things above. Keep them in front of you. Keep going up. And then set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, He said. How do you do that? You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, when she lived as a quadriplegic all these years, and then last year she was stricken with cancer and had to go through cancer treatment, and she said she would glance, she, her advice is glance at your problems and gaze at the Lord. Spend more time looking at the Lord. How do you do that? I spend time in the Word that He wrote. Get to know what he says. Read, study, reflect, memorize, discuss. Spend time with people who remind you of Jesus. That's why you come to church. That's why you go to fellowship meetings. That's why you go with a Christian friend to lunch. You spend time with people who are like Jesus. Something I read just a few days ago that I thought was a good idea. guy said... I suggest doing it mentally. He said he did it in reality, and that is take a red tag. I work in a manufacturing plant where we have a quality assurance director that comes by and we're building something, and he comes by and red tags it. And it's my job to come argue with him and try to get him to take that red condemnation tag off there that says we can't use it. He said, red tag your material possessions soon to be burned. Because Peter said these things are going to be burned up. 
And if you can touch it right now, it's probably going to be burned up someday. Is it really worth all your time and effort and attention as a priority in your life? It's not. Red tag it and set your mind on things above. One of the things I tell people is ask what difference is it going to make in 500 years. As you make a decision, what difference is it going to make in 500 years? The only thing I know that I can do that's going to make a difference in 500 years involves relationships with people who are going to live eternally. You're witnessing your discipleship of your children, your family, the time you spend, what you do for the Lord will make a difference in 500 years. Set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above and live with a thumbs-up attitude. Let's pray. Father, it is for me, and I suspect for many here, so easy For me to start thinking like the old person before I start thinking like I thought before I got saved. To start thinking with the same mentality, the same attitude, the same philosophy as the world around me. And that's not your will or your plan for us. Help us to stop doing that. Help us to fix our minds on you and on the life you have for us the glory that we will share with you. And thank you for your grace and your love that you would share your glory with us. Help us to do whatever we need to do to keep on seeking those things above and to set our minds on those things above, not on earthly things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.